Is there any preamble we want to cover? The legal disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> Kia ora and welcome to 76 Small Rooms, a podcast about architecture from Aotearoa, New Zealand. My name is Jeremy. I'm here with Arch, Matt, Tash and our very special guest today, Simon Farrell-Green, who is the editor of a new architecture magazine that's about to launch called Here. We, in recent weeks, have been talking about the demise of architectural media, especially of the printed kind. And here in Auckland, and well in New Zealand, um, Home Magazine, of which Simon was the editor, closed, um, along with the rest of the magazines at Bauer Media. And we also saw Urbis and Houses exit the market. Any others? And Interiors. And Interiors went too, that's right. Yeah. Um, And so we're now left with Architecture New Zealand. Mm and stuff on the fringe, New Zealand House and Garden, um, home, home style. style, but not a whole lot. Um, anyway, I'm burbling. Welcome, Simon. Thank you. Thanks for coming along. Thank you for having me. You're starting a new thing, so obviously you feel optimistic about the future of print media and architectural print media in particular. Yes, uh, I also just need a job. <laughs> to be honest, somebody said to me the other day, just be careful you're not buying yourself a job. And I thought, oh, no, no, that's, that's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> what, what made you want to step into this area again? Um, need. I saw a need. So um, I've had lots of conversations over the past couple of months since that sort of, you know, um, it was the first couple of weeks of lockdown that all the architecture magazines in New Zealand closed, basically, except for Architecture New Zealand. And I've had lots of chats with architects, um, readers, uh, people, I guess, generally in the design space, and also a lot of advertisers and former clients um, in that space. Um, And all of them really feel the loss and the need. So it felt to me that there was something viable there. So I just put a timeline on it and started to sort of see whether we could get enough advertising support to put an issue out. So what will here be? Here is a primarily an architect, a, a magazine about residential architecture in New Zealand. Um, I think where we're going with it is we're fiercely local, so we will not really ever cover a house outside of New Zealand unless it has a really strong direct tie to New Zealand, either via an owner or an architect. And within more broadly, we will cover design, community, uh, independent business. Um, anything that sort of talks about what it's like to, to live here. So the, the, the sort of two moving parts to the magazine, there's, there's houses and there's five of those every issue, and you know, they will sit on different themes and do different things. And then the front of the magazine, which is actually a really big, chunky page count, is actually quite broad, and I think we may pull that back depending on what happens with the rest of the market. If at the moment it's sort of like there is no magazine reporting in New Zealand right now, so we've sort of got the field wide open. So we've we've actually chucked, you know, we put a recipe in because that seemed like a nice idea, and we've put other bits in there. Although there is sort of a loose sort of design thing that sort of snakes its way through, it's it's probably not strictly architecture in the front, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of um, to use your word, Jeremy, the sort of the gateway drug into the magazine as much as anything else is sort of lure them in with lots of beautiful stuff in the front and then into beautiful houses and oh you're talking about architecture Mm. um yeah so that's that's what we are and why print in particular 
Again, need, market need. Uh, there is nothing on the market right now. Mm -hmm. and, um, and do you still feel it has a particular potency when it comes to communicating the stories of these buildings? Magazine sales in general in New Zealand have been up since the beginning of Level 4. Uh, in fact, they were up before that as we went into it and people started sort of instinctively spending more time at home and more time, I guess, contemplating and thinking, which I think is something we've probably all done a lot of in the last few months. So I, I did think that there was enough of a market there. Home and other titles had, you know, consistent sales. So um, I think what has changed a little bit, and I said this in my spin-off article on the weekend, is that magazines and print in general, and this is a point that Duncan Greig made really eloquently last year, last week, really is at the moment um, not a particularly viable proposition for a large corporate conglomerate who are looking to pull really big profits out. If you're interested in making something and hopefully making an okay salary along the way, then, then that's a pretty low bar for profit. <laughs> and that makes it functional and viable. So indie media has more of a future than big corporate magazine media and that That's sense. what a lot of people are saying. I mean, who knows how it will play out, but um, at the moment, what seems to be the, the prediction, and certainly um, Ovato, which is the big magazine distributor and, and printer and everything in New Zealand, is setting itself up to deal with a bunch of very small players rather than mm. one or two mm. very large players and a few indies around, around the edges. So I do feel that that is the direction it will take. And it will be groupings of one, two, three, four. And some of those groupings, I think, will be quite loose. Mm. Like it might be that, you know, a bunch of mags or titles get together and sort of as a collective sort of buying power, or, you know, enter into some, some collective contracts, even though they're actually individual businesses. I think that's something mm -hmm. that, that could well happen, particularly sort of in the regions, which um, have become weirdly important for magazines as well, because there were a lot of regional mags that didn't go. So uh, yeah. it's quite an interesting time for printing and publishing. I think one of the really nice things about print is that it's this idea of affordable luxury, not just in terms of actually spend, but also uh, in terms of time, like luxury, it is a luxury to have the time to sit down with a magazine, it's a special thing, and I think perhaps a lot of people have realised over the course of lockdown um, that that's something that they want more of. Are you looking to um, pitch your magazine uh, to that space? to some degree. Yeah, we are, and I think you're right. One of the things that a lot of people have been saying to me is, and again, through the sort of level four and the lockdown and stuff, you know, we all sat and scrolled mindlessly through Instagram for what seemed like hours, and I think that's accentuated that kind of digital swamp that so much of us are suffering from. And so I think the place of a magazine, and that could be a digital edition or it could be a, a print edition, is to sort of carve through that and do something in a really deliberate, um, pointed way and to, to really evaluate what, what feels right and real and to, to put that into a, a form that you then digest in quite a deliberate and, and sort of nuanced way, rather than this just kind of constant, you know, forgetful dumping of of imagery that seems to happen um, in digital. That said, we will we will eventually back into a digital um, sort of platform as well. And I, I sort of see the two as working in quite separate ways. So we'll sort of go fast online and slow in print. And, mm. and, and I actually, I've done both in my career and I enjoy 
both those sides and I think they have different places. Do you think that people are looking for more engagement with perhaps the makers of things including publications and, and, and to what extent does the online or um, social media aspect fulfil that need? Yeah, I think I think people are very conscious of people who make things and and people who make things in their country or in their city at the moment. It seems like the sort of you know the local movement uh, isn't tokenistic. It does seem quite genuine and quite real. And I think that's because it's not you know outside of media. There's been a lot of businesses closed. There's a lot of people who are really struggling and very very worried about their future. And it does tend to be people who maybe do things because they care more than um, more than they earn in a way and so I think people are really interested in engaging with that stuff and in the digital space yeah you can you do do that um, we're still thinking through what the digital thing looks like and that's it's sort of a whole separate project that we'll get to but trying to work out how you do that in, in a meaningful way um, without, I think the churn is something that even on the digital space I really want to stay away from. It's mm-hmm. just that sort of mindless posting. Um, I had a job a couple, a few years ago, in the digital space, and it was very, it was sort of like, oh, well, you know, you need to write 25 articles a week, and it was just like this constant pumping out of kind of brainless content, and it's just really, it's quite dispiriting to do, and it doesn't get very good traction. So there is a balance there between doing things regularly and doing them well, I think. Where does, where does architecture fit into that? Because there's always this interesting um, dilemma in some ways about how much to talk about architecture and how much that potentially intimidates or alienates your readers, but also that it introduces them gently to this world which um, they're inspired and excited by. Where do you find that balance and why is architecture a core part of your platform rather than just beautiful superficial images of houses. Mm. I think, I think here will be, if it works the way that I want it to work, it's sort of a three-legged stool between readers, architects, and the kind of brands that would like to talk to both of those, and that's a sort of a commercial model. But on the editorial side, because of that, you've naturally got a really big chunk of people who are invested in talking about architecture. So your battle's sort of slightly won at that point anyway because you're always very conscious that you've got a really brainy, pretty tough audience out there. So if you get shallow and vague and shiny, they do tell you pretty quickly and that's um, that's around both image use and layout and words. And was really conscious of, of that, that, that you know, architects are a, a particular and vocal bunch. I still remember years ago an architect telling me at a house I'd featured on the cover of Home and Entertaining, as it was called then, and she took me aside and she said, I just need to tell you that the cover on the house of that issue of the magazine is naive. And she was kind of right in retrospect. What did she mean? Uh, it was overly simple and it was also not designed with the comfort of its occupants, top of mind. I'm done. I just can't wait to find out which one. That <laughs> <laughs> That's after the recording. <laughs> but sorry to interrupt. You no, I'm not. And I think the and then the readers. I think when you run a magazine that that has architecture on the cover, I think you're you're instantly putting off, you know, people who are just there to flick and 
and and be vague and be be shiny. You know, when you, you, we we've got it in the you know on the front cover, it's you know there's a list of words that we stand for and are connected to, and mm-hmm. one of those is architecture. So that I think those people tend to be either very interested naturally or um, they are somewhere involved in a project, so they're actually looking in a way for you to school them up. And I think one of the things that readers have often said to me through the various titles in this space that I've that I've worked for is we read as much to find ideas and inspiration as to understand the language and the process so that when our architect talks about a, a boundary setback or you know a, a whatever you know a kind of a technical word that they will actually not sort of sit there and feel stupid uh-huh. so I think that's another part that we play is as as sort of people in this in this space and I think things like this podcast are probably the same sort of function is just starting to connect things a little bit it's super interesting like we do talk a lot about the jargon that architects use and and how we kind of we're so we're taught to do so and then this is interesting because it's the other way around it's like trying to teach um it's trying to teach potential clients the language Mm. so that when they encounter it Mm. they can understand it's pulling on the other end of the string really um yeah, I, we're often griping slash musing about the language that we'll all use, and we're all as guilty as anyone else sometimes, right? But, you know, you see these pieces and you're just like, that is written for an extremely narrow audience. Yeah. And that is not... And if you know anyone who loves anything and you encourage them to talk about it, you can really distinguish those who speak about it in a way because they want to share... They want you to share their passion, and they use a language that draws you in and deliberately keeps that barrier really low mm. and then mm. you can we've all come across people who raise that barrier very high because they're actually deliberately putting a wall up to prevent people from understanding the sort of arcane knowledge mm. that they hold um, I just think it's really interesting and, and I can picture a person you know looking at a project and going through you know what you'd call a sort of inspiration thumb through but yeah it's an interesting mm. idea that you're actually trying to help them or it can aid them in having those conversations yeah I mean it's it's kind of it's news you can use at, at its core you know like if you're hmm. if like I've just bought um, an old villa in a character design in central Auckland and so we are going to get you know completely monstered by the heritage department of the council when we eventually get around to doing what will be a pretty major reno on it and sure I'm kind of in the trade, so a lot of the stuff is reasonably familiar to me. But my wife vaguely understood what that meant. But when I said to her, you know, the the character guys, the heritage guys, will crawl over every element of this design and not just the front, you know, and there will be a cost implication for that. It will involve a resource consent. It will involve, you know, heritage consultants. It will take a long time and we will sit here in the house that, you know, needs a renovation for that period. So just within that example, you've got a whole pile of concepts and processes that an owner is going to suffer personally and financially from. So they do need to know. It's in their interest to know. Mm. It's in our interest to weave those into the stories in a really engaging and interesting way and use that to drive the stories that we tell. And a lot of the time, you know, every, every house is different, every story will be different. But they, you know, um, Craig Dixon, who's one of our writers, who is a former Metro North and South listener writer, and he's a really old friend of mine, and I rang him up um, and said, oh, you know, do you want to write about houses? And he said, I don't know anything about houses. And I said, no, but you're a really good journalist, so you'll be fine, don't worry about it. 
And um, he has this great thing of every story has to have a through line and he won't leave the house until he's found the through line. And one, and it's, it's always this lovely sort of um, connection between a technical concept and a people concept and he manages to sort of find that thread through the piece that just carries the whole story through and then the quite technical, difficult stuff sort of hangs lightly off mm. that rather than, as you say, diving into, you know... You know, fifty words of of complicated, deep, passive, ghastly, technical-driven writing. But actually, that's what good architecture should be. You know, it has yep. to serve people, mm. and we should make the technical stuff that's really, really hard look effortless. Yep. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and being so committed to um, to you know, you say fiercely local. Mm. Do you think it becomes a? Um, do you think it starts to become any kind of indicator of national character? Yeah, that's a really interesting one, isn't it? Like, you know, if you really... Um, and you can get into the difference between here and home just as words rather than titles. But if you're going to crudely represent living spaces, what does it start to say? And then you, you make choices about what they are. They're not a random sample. What does it do to go to start talking about um, either who we are or mm. maybe who we aspire to be, perhaps? It's... It's really complex, that one, because one of the really interesting pieces of feedback I've had in the last sort of 48 hours since the spin-off story went up is a lot of people saying to me, um, we love your magazine, we love what you know the sound of it, and we're so glad that there's a local publication going to come up and, and tell us stories about what are from here, which is what we wanted to do. But can you please not have so many nice white middle-class people in your magazine? And I sort of I looked at that and I thought, yep, I think that's true. I think that's a criticism of all housing magazines around the globe, from American magazines to Australian to New Zealand. It's it's a it is a, a structural problem because in the main, unfortunately, it does tend to be nice white middle-class people who have the money to do a big renovation or build a house. That's a massive crude generalisation, but it is sort of an inevitable result. So to an extent, you are reflecting a national character and a national mm -hmm. mood, and I think one of the things that we have set out to do is to engage with colour, to engage with really warm spaces, and to look at houses that um, might have multiple purposes and spaces rather than just sort of one big room. So there is, I think there is definitely a sea change in the way that New Zealanders are living now and that's been coming for a while, but we've really tried to give that a really good hard shove away from sort of um, a pretty monochromatic sort of palette that I think had got a bit tired and a bit, a bit it had become a bit of a trope. Mm -hmm. um, I sort of get submissions and we've had quite a few come in in the last couple of days and it's like, perfectly, very nicely put together house, but it's white jib walls, oak floors, black aluminium joinery, and black steel handrails, and I just go, I think we're done with that one. And we, I think we might just park that sort yep. of look, and we might sort of think about some other things that drive things, and some maybe some other ways of living, because I feel like even the working from home thing, I mean, I had, we were renting a house around the corner from here, actually, with which was 80 square meters we have two preschool children and um, we had one desk in the living room from which Hannah and I were both trying to work 
and that was a nightmare. And then we've moved into our new place, which has actually got lots of funny little strange rooms, all of which have found a function, like an office and library, and it's sort of like, oh, okay, actually, I think we need, I think we need to go to a bit more broken plan for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that is going to be. Architects are already seeing, saying to me that they're seeing more more requests for breakout spaces or offices or you know rooms that do multiple different things easily because they're using their houses in really quite radically different ways to what they did you know six months ago and that's going to carry on I think that's permanent you talk about when you first started talking you talked about finding it to sort of paraphrase what you were talking I think you were saying was the idea of a clear voice within the kind of noise and I think you now talk about a, 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 an architecture in New Zealand that you're giving that voice to do you think that's you know, that seems to be emerging. Is that the? Is are you looking at new ways of living? Are you? Is there a particular um, story you want to tell um, with the magazine? Is it particularly New Zealand? Is it particularly anti-international? Is there is there a story you're trying to tell? I wouldn't say anti-international because I think with Instagram and easy access to lots of media, I think we're all inspired by stuff from other places and and I like that you know I remember growing up as a child in the 1980s in New Zealand and that was you know reasonably colourful compared to a period 20 years before that and you compare that to now and you think well you know no international is good um but I think the main reason for for being fiercely local is no one else is going to tell these stories Mm. Why would we buy licensed content from Australia, which is which is or America or whatever, which is commercially a really clever thing to do because you can pick it up really cheap and they look amazing, and you get a fully edited subbed story probably with a headline and a and a stand first on it as well, and you just sort of put that into your magazine and push it out the door and it's you know it's a pretty easy process, but no one else is telling those stories. So I think when we say we're fiercely local, it's more about saying no one else is going to tell this story. No one else is going to find the house by the young architect in Christchurch who's built two cute little townhouses on the back of a bungalow in suburban Christchurch, which is one of our houses in the first issue. And I rang him up and said, you know, um, I saw your thing on the NZIA Awards. Um, Can we send a photographer down? I think your house is perfect for our first issue. And he sort of just about fell off his chair at the thought of having 12 pages in the mag. And, Mm. And that's that's... That's really cool. I love that stuff. Mm. Ringing people and they get really surprised and kind of excited that this is their big break. Or for an established architect, it's, you know, the the house that has been five years in the making and is the next step change in their in their career and it's, you know, it's the one that, that you know, has finally represented a thing that, that they've always wanted to be able to do and they found the client that backed them to mm. do it and they, they kind of got away with it. That's and that's why we we're fiercely local because um, that's the stuff we want to do. And I think one of the things that I probably don't have a driving agenda as such. I don't think that's really my role. Although I do try and nudge things around the edges a little bit. Um, I think more my role is to say what's the new thing? What's the thing we haven't seen before? What's the thing that turns the dial? And I think. I'm being really, really tough on that in the magazine. The, the magazine won't run a house that's a Me Too project. It's, 
it's not the iterations, it's the first version. And, you know, we'll, we'll look at what we do in the online space because we'll need a lot more projects and a lot more houses because we want to put lots through the website. And that's where, you know, there's, there's often, I always feel like architects sort of, you know, they sort of spike and then do that. And then you have these kind of peaks of houses and those are the ones that are the total winners. And then they've got ones that are really great houses, but that we're riffing off that one. Not all, not all of them do it, but it, it does seem to be a thing that happens a little bit. And you know, all clients go love that one, um, and we don't really want to put the the, the iterations or the the B sides. <laughs> we ran an issue called B sides on home. That's um, right. No, it's not so much the B sides because they're still really good. It's the it's just not the one that moved the dial. Mm-hmm. And so we're not going to put those in the magazine because we will have seen it before. Will you forbid the use of the term world class? <laughs> I think I banned that word already time ago from my from my from from my vernacular. It's one of the cringiest things, isn't it? I think when we talk about ourselves and we're like, we're great, but this term also means we think we're a bit shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, come on, just at least consistent message. It's nice to have aspiration. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know. One of the um, things, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jeremy. Um. Oh, one of the things that I found a big challenge in my years as an editor, and I don't think I either adequately surmounted that challenge, was I was it was really clear that there was a need for Auckland in particular to move towards a model which had greater density of housing. Mm. Mm. And I found it so hard to find projects that were suitable for a magazine. And I say that in that there was an element of superficiality to this, because you not only need a well-designed terrace home or apartment or whatever, but you do need people that have occupied it in a way that will be seductive. Mm. And... Is it getting easier to find those projects and is that something you'll be committed to adhere where it's possible? Definitely. Um, I, mean, I think as much as anything else, you've got a big chunk of readers who are in their post-young family or post-needing you know, needing a house phase. So if you want to continue to talk to them, you need to cover mm. that stuff. And that's one of the things, I mean, I think... If you look at um, some magazines around the world, haven't, and their readership, their their, their sort of readership just declines mm. because it's not relevant anymore. And I think we do we do need to talk about that. It's it is really hard to do. It's very difficult to even sort of access those places sometimes. And I think they sort of veer between slightly not right in terms of um, you know the the way that people are inhabiting them. Um, although we're easier on that than I thought we would be, I think one of the things that we've done is the magazine is quite it's a bit more rough around the edges and a bit more handmade perhaps than I thought it would be and that's just a natural mm. thing that seems to have come out of some of the ways that I was talking about things and I think I wasn't really conscious that I was doing it so I'm less hung up on funny bits of furniture in corners than I thought I might be, which is... <laughs> I know the feeling. Yeah. As I um, said, there's a superficial element yeah, that I feel guilty about to this day. There is. Just... And then, so you sort of veer from that to um, totally overstyled and anonymous and mm. not personal and very cold. And so they, they can be just really difficult to, to cover 
to an extent that's changing I think because people are just moving into those spaces now anyway yeah. and doing yeah. um, really great jobs with things you know um, and I think about all my sort of friends parents who have moved out of you know nice family homes into nice apartments um, of varying different sizes and scales and budgets and and they've inhabited those really beautifully with you know lots of collections and that sort of stuff so I think that will eventually change I think mm. probably Jeremy when you were doing that that stuff was very um, it was there wasn't a lot coming through there weren't the skies and the no, mountains no, and the, all that sort of stuff around Wynyard Quarter and, and there was also a degree of separation in the the normal process of referral is either as usually through yeah. an architect mm-hmm. saying I have this client who's interested and when these <coughs> an architect's designed an apartment building that's being put on the market by a marketing company and yes, yes. they need to know who moves in. You're designing mm. unlike a house you're designing for people you will never meet. That's right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's um, not only is there that disconnect of, of finding those people and being able to talk to them but are you telling the story about the interior design or are you telling the story about the building? Mm. It's kind of, you know, they're not, not by the same hand necessarily, right. so mm. the this, this story becomes more complicated. I've always wondered how you do that without a sort of a... Do you imagine a client? Do you have an implied client? Do I do a, uh, do do a customer or? journey. Mm. Um, such a thing exists, and you would have seen those, eh? Like, so-and-so, 24, lives in the city, works oh, in IT. We used to have those um, magazines, too. Margo, <laughs> and, Margo and Jen, 68, like to drive out to the Tiaramudu Peninsula to play golf and, and have downsides from there, you know. Yeah. Um, um, sometimes you're working to incredibly prescriptive, um, prescriptive sets of briefs mm. and things in multi-unit that are reliant on... Um, so, but you know, you might be coming from a client who knows their residents... Um, you don't know their residents, but they know who mm. will live in there, as opposed to the purely speculative end, which is mm. like, well, the market tells us we just need a crap load of one bedrooms and a bunch of penthouses, which will pay for everything, and just, you know, there's a huge amount of mm. variety, I think. But you don't, you never have the same, unless you do know the, the apartment's occupant, you never have the same relationship you would having mm. the house. You know? Never no. sit down and talk about Material boards. But You're not taking them through a through a design journey as mm. part of the process. You are. There's always someone at the head of that, but it's, it's just different. But then you get the other end. You think of someone like uh, like you look at like um, you might have seen Christina Pickford's Reno and the Dilworth building. Mm. Yeah, that's the one you more commonly see where the space comes in and they're actually able to sculpt and craft yes. it around that. Mm. That was a good one. And, or, or your own place, Jeremy. You know, as opposed to those where where it's the multi units mm. and, and then they're effectively dressed yeah. by occupants. Yeah. Mm. I think the whole renovation space has become really interesting in New Zealand, I think, because for a long time architecture media didn't pay it much heed, and I mm. think it's because there wasn't necessarily the level of work in that space. Mm. Whereas it's, you know, the, the toughening of the heritage roles, yeah. the the shift to, you know, people rehabbing things like Christina's apartment is, is a stunning rework mm. of a heritage building, and it's been really interesting watching that work stream come through in terms of publish or publishable mm. projects and, and even just in terms of the shoots that come. It's really interesting. Oh, it's it has a role in terms of feeding desirability for that yeah. type of Way of living. as well. Mm. People think, I could, I could do that. Mm. That's yeah. quite attractive, yeah. actually. Yeah. Yeah. And and even if it's not actually the heritage building, it actually feeds into the, the mass multi-unit stuff as well. Mm. I think it does, and I think I often think about, um, you know, what my kids, what their journey will be, and you know, by the time they're five and three, and by the time they're buying 
their first place, assuming that they... In their late were, 50s? In their late 60s. <laughs> <laughs> I read a thing, someone said to me the other day that my generation, because I'm 40, my generation of children of boomers will inherit the most amount of money that has ever been inherited on the planet as a generation. Because that's where that, that, that uplift gets cashed mm. in and realised. there's fewer of us than there are of them. And they, right. And they've, you know, amassed a vast amount of capital. And as a generation, they will pass the most amount of capital ever to us. Uh, but we, it will be the fastest transfer to the next generation on, because we'll just give it straight to our kids. Because... <laughs> <laughs> They'll be so stuffed. <laughs> but I sort of think about oh, what sort of sort of stuff they'll and they'll be doing up. They'll be renovating the stuff we're building now. Possibly, mm. yeah. Interesting. They'll be renovating, you know, apartments and concrete buildings and that. And so that's that's really I think that's a really interesting mm. future of, as you say, quite prosaic but reasonably well built buildings becoming personalised. Mm-hmm. Sort of a in a second take, which is what happens in Singapore. And well, I wonder why we try and personalise them the first time round. Actually, why why don't we? Yeah, you know, I know I understand why a developer needs to sell a, a finished apartment, but actually, would it be nice to sell concrete shelves? Yeah. Shell. It would be nice. Yeah. 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 Concrete box, which is what yeah. they do in Germany in places like that. Then you put your own kitchen and mm. your own bathroom, and even if you're leasing, you do that, and you have a long-term lease. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's that's the why. Mm. You've got the security of knowing that you can move in and be there and not be turfed out after mm. in ninety days' notice. Mm. Um, I'd be fascinated with something with the title that you've given it to see things like um, papakainga or, or buildings designed or housing housing informed by Tower Māori. Mm. You know, these would be fascinating mm. insights, and they'd be something I'd be hungry to see because I know so little about it, and yet um, there's you know there's arguably nothing more local than that. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And the the cover weirdly is um, red, white, and black. So there's actually this kind of it's funny. We've sort of responded to the word unconsciously with this quite sort of strong um, line through that. We will definitely do that. We just it's that thing of finding um, a project that is well shot, well designed. Mm. Um, but I agree. That it has to be that is crucial for here. And it has a good story. Yeah. 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 Mm. yeah. And also, yeah, it's it's a, it's a it is a thorny one that whole that whole issue. Um, but I think it's there is some good stuff coming through. Now. Yeah. And I think that's probably the reason we also decided that we would loosen the whole front of the magazine. So even if we found a good story in that space that maybe didn't fit the mould of the five projects. Yeah we might do six or eight pages on something and get a really great shot yeah. done of it and tell that story and do that that way. So yeah. that just sort of creating this, one of my touch points was Port magazine out of London and they just have like a front and a back mm-hmm. and they have 15 stories in the front and then they just have a whole pile of sort of shoots and it's just this really kind of uh-uh, two moving parts. Um, and I really like reading that. And so we, but that's why we did that. Yeah, I think that's probably what we'll do, and I think I think instinctively, magazines tend to get owned by their readers as well, and they're and they're sort of you you, it's it's already happening with here. It's quite sort of, a couple of times sort of people have done stuff and gone, I've just done this, and I'm like, <laughs> we, we can talk about that, and sort of you know. So I think hopefully, if we just let it go enough, and we do give it that that name here, 
that that will happen organically. And your first issue's laid up and out in later th- this month? It's on sale June 22. Cool. Yeah. And you're running a boosted campaign? Yeah, that's been mad. I'm looking at it here at just under 20 grand. Oh, is it up to that? It was at 19. Were you aiming for 12? 19, we 12. 19, yeah, 19 we and a half. We were at 19 when I left the house, so. <laughs> <laughs> Great. We'll stay out longer. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's amazing what this podcast did for yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> Where are we going to buy it? So it's, super, it's a mainstream magazine in the supermarkets. Uh-huh. So it's been ranged in... Countdown, Foodstuffs North Island, which is New World, Packet Save, all that sort of jazz. Um, Whitcall's Paper Plus, Dairies. Yeah, it um, normally takes eight to ten weeks. Um, and I rang Ovato three weeks ago and said, um, I want to be on sale June 15. I had to move it by a week. And they went, gulp, okay, yeah, all right, yeah. well, let's give it a go. And um, there's again, you know, there's there's a hunger out there. And not just for architecture, but definitely there is hunger for for architecture media. So the supermarkets and the retailers are feeling that, so they they went for it. Which I have, is amazing. I have one burning question left, mm. if that's okay, before we finish. Um, and that's architecture's almost eternal perception as being a luxury good. Mm. And I don't want to live my failures through you, but it was one of the things I tried at home to kind of um, push to change. Um, but of course, that's a big structural problem in the industry. With the current affordability crisis that we see, do you think architecture is becoming more and more confined to that luxury space, or is it opening up and becoming more accessible and architects are prepared to take on projects that they might not have before? Both. Mm-hmm. So you are seeing a huge number of... And that, I think that talks to where capital sits in New Zealand right now, which is very firmly with a bunch of people over the age of 55. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are, they are building and they are, they are spending a lot of money. Um, I've spoken to several architects recently sort of through this you know, lockdown and said, you know, how are you going? And they've said, well, we've actually just had three inquiries from people who have cashed in their KiwiSaver because they turned 65 and they don't need the money and there's a million bucks in their KiwiSaver so they thought they might build a house and it's like, right. Okay. So that's definitely architecture. <laughs> yeah, I can see Tasha's eyes lighting up. <laughs> and I thought, right, okay, that's fascinating. I think... A million dollars can get you quite a good section. Can get you quite a good section. <laughs> it's certainly not going to pay for the whole luxury house, is it? Let's face it. I think, yeah, there is definitely that. Uh, I think also what I've been really delighted by is watching people in my circle who who have maybe started with something quite small and modest and you, mm. you, you go through those gear changes and then you get into your 40s and you're in your second or third place and this is the one you're staying in. And they start engaging with architecture. They have to, because they might be in a, you know, they might just be in the kind of area where they need, it gets really complicated to, to do something, so you can't just get the builder to knock a room out the back. But also they're kind of there for a lot the long term, so they start thinking about, well, we need to do this right, and we stuffed it up on the last one because we didn't actually, and we tried to do the bathroom ourselves, and it kind of all went wrong. And, um, you know, that, that sort of things. So I think there is definitely a polarisation going on and I think our generation have quite different really quite different aspirations I think the sort of the big house and 
you know, the three-car garage is not of interest at all to to the to my generation of, of people coming through. Um, a big section isn't even all that interesting. Mm. I, my friends and I would we we bought a section that a 400 square meter section in Kingsland, and I was really pissed off because I wanted 300. Mm. <laughs> and we we bought this one because it worked. But I was like, mm. like oh, more land than we used to have in Beach Haven. Like, mm. You know, it was just. So there's a kind of a gear change there, a shift, and so that is driving some quite different projects and responses. And, mm-hmm. and, and in, anyone who designs is always going to love that idea of being able to be ingenious with space and do more with less. It's and, way more interesting. And right? that can come in in parallel with the yeah. whole value add, and you can still mm-hmm. develop a tiny section and sell it for a profit. Yeah. So. You know, I think that's where we can do some of our most powerful work. I like an empty site on a beautiful landscape with a limitless budget is a wonderful opportunity, but it's hardly really flexing your, your muscle. No. But taking that tiny space and getting, you were talking just before about multiple uses out of rooms mm. and all of those things and folding folding the space, making it really compact and making it really mm. wonderful and dense mm. is, is, is awesome. I think it's a real sweet spot there that can appeal to those yeah. people who... One of the things I often think around that idea that architecture is premium is that architecture is often large. You know, so mm. the small and beautiful really shows that you know you can have someone design your bathroom well, and it will improve your life every single day that mm. you live there. Mm. You, know, you know, it can be as simple as that. It can be a kettle. Mm. You know, design can kind of improve totally. life at any kind of scale, yeah. and it's worth it's worth doing. Yeah, I think also you know it would be interesting to see what happens out of this change with the Building Act with the 30 square meter mm. rule as to what, what people do mm. with that, whether that goes badly wrong, which I suspect it will, or right. And I think so I'm quite excited about that and covering, you know, in a year or two, mm. covering some of those places that come through and people who do something particularly, again, you know, we're all at home more and I think we will carry on being at home for a while. So we're all gonna go, you know, an office with a lockable door. <laughs> um, and also, um, you, I mean, you know, we all know what's going to happen over the next six months. There's going to be a bunch of 20, 30-something architects who either can't get jobs or, or lose jobs. So mm-hmm. they will start having to do fun stuff with their friends, and that's always really exciting. Another uh, $30 just came through on the bus. <laughs> starting to feel a bit like a telephone. <laughs> I, did, I did think that over the weekend, actually. I kept saying to Hannah, it's up to 14000 <laughs> Thank you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that's a, a good place to wrap up. We're over our time. We are. I think it's a good. Did you get your burning questions up. out? I've got my burning questions out. You've made a very inspirational speech. Yeah. And thank you. <laughs> and Simon, thank you so much for joining oh, us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's a, and good luck with here. Yeah, we're really looking forward to seeing it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for being episode 30. And if you'd like to support um, what Simon and his team are doing, you can donate at uh, booster.org.nz. And by the publication, of course, it comes of out course. in just a couple of weeks' time. Buy two copies. Yeah. Okay. Thanks very much for joining us. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Bye, everybody.